Every single outcome in your life is on you. The outcomes that you have are based on decisions that you've made. If you've made bad decisions, well, there's a chance that you can correct them and there's a chance that you can ultimately approach things with different decision-making and different habits, but you are where you are because of the decisions that you make. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Jessica, head of coaching strategy at Crisp, and today we're flipping the script for another special edition episode to get Michael's take on why self-care is not selfish, but crucial for leadership effectiveness, how healthy habits can be the catalyst for better decision-making and overall success, and why leading by example is the most effective way to encourage well-being amongst your team. If you can model those behaviors yourself consistently and they see that you are a more effective leader as a result, well, then you're saying, you know, I'm going to try this. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Welcome to another AMMA Ask Michael Mogul Anything. So I've got my co-host Jessica here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you who have not listened to one of these before, really do three types of episodes on the podcast. So we've got our one-on-one interviews that we do with our guests. So experts in the legal industry and beyond. These typically take place on Tuesdays. Then we've got our encore editions, which are some of our most popular episodes of the podcast over the years. And we bring those back by popular demand. Those typically take place on Thursdays. And then we've got our AMMAs. We originally started as one episode. The feedback has been incredible. This is questions that you all submit and that we answer live on the podcast. So we'll keep doing them until people tell us to stop doing them. But we got probably at this point over a thousand questions. And we typically go through, I don't know, two, three, four questions on an AMMA. So we've got quite a few more to do. With that, Jessica, let's get started. All right. Picked some good ones from owners, which I know a lot of people can relate to this one, is just the nonstop. So this person says, I find it hard to justify taking breaks, but I know there are always tasks that need to be done. How can I shift this mindset to see personal health and wellness as a necessary investment for the benefit of my business? Okay. There's what's called entrepreneur guilt, and I've been a victim of this myself. I know, Jessica, this is something you've struggled with as well. And as entrepreneurs, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast, you always want to be making some sort of impact. You always want to be moving the needle forward, getting something done, completing an action item, making a decision, being able to just move the business forward. You get into this loop and this cycle that if you're not doing something that in your mind you view as productive, that it seems like you're slacking off. Like if you ever leave and the sun's still out, it's like, what am I doing? Am I yeah. playing hooky, right? It's like, I remember for years we get in and it's dark out and then you leave and it's dark out and you think, man, I, <laughs> I don't know what this it's all like I know. <laughs> to come home when the sun's still up. So you get into that pattern, which again, I think for certain chapters of your life and of the business, perhaps it's necessary to work at that level if you really want to move things forward. But there comes a point where maybe there's a better way to do things. And I really think it starts with the mindset shift. So if you want to get out of this entrepreneurial guilt of looking at what is truly productive versus just being busy. So being able to separate the two. I'll give you an example of this. Years and years ago, 
I was one of these people that was committed to getting inbox zero. So every time, you know, I'd look in my inbox, you know, by the end of the day to be down to zero. And that made me feel very accomplished if I responded to every single email that my inbox was cleared. But I've learned, and hopefully the people listening to this podcast also have learned that emails received is really a function of email sent. So if you respond to 100 emails, you're going to get 100 emails back. And it's not to say you shouldn't respond to emails. It's just this idea that your inbox may be zero for five minutes or 10 minutes, but then eventually you're going to have new emails come in. And then also it's looking at the standpoint of is that the best use of your time? So is responding to emails really moving the business forward? And is that the most productive thing you could be doing? Because it can feel like work, just like checking items off a to-do list, but is that the top thing you could be doing to really move the needle for your organization? And if you're not sure, I think it starts, but I know we did this on an earlier podcast of really laying out for the year, what are your top items? Then for the quarter, what are your top three items for the month? I know we do this every single month of like, what are my top three items that have to get done? Then every single week we break that down. So I know for this week, here are the top three critical results that have to get done. And then basically further break that down into every single day. So when I come in every day, I know here are my top three items that have to get done before I close my eyes at night. And sometimes those top three items take me all the way to 6 p.m. Sometimes those top three items take me to 2 p.m. But those are the most important things. And I can tell you that I don't think inbox zero or emails have ever been on that top three list because it's usually much, much bigger, more impactful things around making this hiring decision, this investment, really things that could be much more impactful to the business and being able to move it forward, creating certain content, right now working on the book, whatever those things are to you that you believe are going to make the greatest impact in the organization itself. And that way you start to look at things as critical drivers as opposed to just things that just take time. So again, it's not to say that you know you shouldn't be responding to emails or you shouldn't be doing tasks that perhaps need doing. If you want my honest answer, I really don't think you should be doing those things. I think that there's other people in your organization that you can have, whether it's through a strategic assistant or somebody else on your leadership team that can be freeing you up from those tasks to do the things that are perhaps the highest and best use of your time. So as a leader, I think the highest and best use of your time is really around the vision, the strategy of the organization, attracting great talent into the organization of great people that you can really build and grow leverage in the organization with, and then making the best decisions for the organization itself. So those are the key things. It's not emails. It's not like little tasky things, but before you have a large support team, you're often doing everything. So yeah. And I actually want to expand on this because this came up at a workshop recently and it was like that. I'm going to outwork everyone on my team because it is that entrepreneur guilt that you carry. And I really kind of challenged that and was like, I think we give ourselves a lot more credit than probably we should. So I remember even when we had our second child and I slowly kind of phased out of coming to the morning huddle because I was at home with her and someone very politely told me, she's like, Jessica, we're so big now. I really don't know if anyone notices. And so it's like we just place a lot more on ourselves of value than probably we should in certain areas. Yeah. As long as you're taking care of the key things, I think the number one most important role of CEO put bluntly, is just to make sure the organization doesn't run out of money. Then from there, it's moving the vision forward and being able to make sure that at the end of the year that you've accomplished all the things the organization set out to accomplish for the year, whether it's targets that need to be achieved, whether it's financial targets, hiring targets, client success targets, whatever the goals that you set out, what would make that a successful year if you set that at the start of the year, at the end of the preceding year, that you've accomplished those things. And as long as that gets done, how you get there, meaning what time you come in, what time you leave, all that, it should be fairly irrelevant as long as you get there. And as long as you accomplish the things that are necessary for the organization to be able to be competitive and successful and ultimately continuing to grow into the future. So that's really the most important thing. Everything else is that internal guilt 
I think it helps by changing the association of being busy versus being effective. And I look at my role every single day is to set myself up to be effective. That's the most important thing. It is not to find ways to occupy every single minute and every single hour of my day. It is how do I accomplish the key critical drivers that are necessary for the business today and for this week and for this month and for this quarter and looking at it that way. And then you can ultimately roll out the same mindset to your team as well, because that's the most important thing. We're in a results-driven organization. We're in a results-driven economy. So as long as you're achieving the results, that's where the focus should be. I think as a result, people can become much more creative and much more collaborative and they're ultimately spending their time in much more effective ways than looking at how do I maximize every single minute of every single day, which ultimately what happens there is that you have a lot of busy people that aren't effective, nor are they productive. Correct. Yeah, totally agree with that. All right. So next question here. Could you provide some practical tips for leaders who want to create a culture of well-being in their teams? So how can leaders lead by example and encourage their team members to prioritize their health without facing resentment or misunderstanding? You kind of answered it in the question, because if you want to encourage well-being within the organization, I think the best way to do it is to lead by example. So I've learned, and this was a very important lesson years ago that saved me a lot of heartache, is that you can't make anyone do anything. For example, let's say you have somebody that you're close with, you see they're not really taking care of their health. You can't say, hey, you really should start taking care of your health and you should start eating well and you should start exercising. You could say those things, but that doesn't necessarily mean their behavior is going to change and their habits are going to change. I think the best way to do something, to get somebody else to do something is to be able to model that behavior in yourself and then it can rub off on others. And you can create the type of culture of well-being if you are prioritizing your own well-being and you're a more effective leader as a result. And then that's rolled out to your leadership team and they're more effective leaders as a result. And you encourage good habits and behaviors in the organization that make people feel comfortable and safe to prioritize those things and say that, hey, this is how we are successful. This isn't one of these things that's if we prioritize our health and well-being, that this is somehow like a trade-off or a compromise behind performance. This is what leads to great performance. Integration. Like, absolutely. A team that is energized and engaged and prioritizing their health and well-being is a more effective team. That is how we succeed. And it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to model those behaviors yourself. I know internally we have our Slack channels crisp fit. We also have our crisp effect challenge internally, like crisp crisp effect. We have team members every single month competing in personal and professional challenges, setting out their goals, being very public about those goals, recording videos. There's a lot of public accountability and you can see people support one another in achieving the things that they want to achieve, whether it's somebody who wants to lose weight or they want to achieve some sort of financial goal, where they want to learn a playing instrument, where they want to learn a language, whatever their goal is, where they want to overcome their fear of public speaking, for example. So you can encourage a culture of that by showing other people doing it. And if somebody else sees someone that is modeling a healthy behavior and they see enough people doing it, at some point you get to a tipping point where they're like, okay, I kind of like this stuff. Maybe I'm going to choose the salad and the chicken breast over the cookies. But it's not because you tell everybody, hey, everyone should start eating healthy and everyone should start prioritizing their well-being and getting eight hours of sleep and whatever and drinking a gallon of water a day. If you do it that way, you're going to have very poor compliance. Right. But if you can model those behaviors yourself consistently and they see that you are a more effective leader as a result, well, then you're saying, you know, I'm going to try this. And also shows that it's possible to do both. Absolutely. Things are, let's say, caught, not taught. As we've said, you yes. know, it's with children, with adults, it's all the same. The same way you would approach raising kids is the same way you can approach really leadership of modeling behaviors rather than telling people things. Correct. Absolutely. All right. We are just on the self-care train today. So 
How do I deal with the potential negative feedback from my team when they do see me taking time out for self-care, even when it's done with the intention of becoming a better leader? So this is something we've talked about in a previous AMMA, but I know as you entered this journey this year, of course, there was the initial guilt of that. And then it's like, what is the team going to think if I don't have meetings until noon? What is the team going to think if they see X, Y, Z? And so, yeah, you kind of went through a little mental thing with this as well. Look, I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast that are saying must be nice. Absolutely. People are going to have their opinions on you taking time off. They're going to have opinions on you working 80 to 100 hours a week. We've talked about this before. You're practicing self-care. Someone's going to judge that. You're coming in on the weekends. Someone's going to judge that. You decide to commit yourself and you say, hey, I want to sign up for an Ironman and train for an Ironman. Someone's going to judge that. Why are you always exercising? Why are you always running? Why are you eating healthy? Why are you not drinking? People are going to judge regardless of what it is that you do. But the most important thing, and I think there's a nuance here, I was very much concerned about this as well. Am I setting a kind of a, in quotes, lazy example for the team if I don't have meetings until noon and if I'm prioritizing my health and wellness, we still got to get work done around here. So is that not the right thing for the organization? And I believe that this only works if you are still driving results. So one of our core values is results driven. So meaning that we are very transparent with the organization every single day. We've got the daily dash that goes out, shares every single metric in the organization, mine included. We share the financials of the organization. There's things that I'm accountable for. So if I'm failing to meet my accountabilities, then yes, I think that can harbor resentment of saying, hey, this person's taking it easy and here I am trying to make things happen for the organization. But if you as the leader are making things happen and you are driving results and doing the things that you are accountable for, well, there really is no problem. This should be the same thing for your team. I mean, we've joked about this before. If people hit their targets and they hit their quotas, go to Six Flags, by all means. That's what we're measuring on. When we have KPIs internally, key performance indicators, this is what great looks like. This is how success is measured and being effective within the organization. And if you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing, you're driving results, then why does all this other stuff matter? So that's where I think the big differentiator is, is that no matter what time you as the leader come into the office or whether you're jumping in a cold plunge or being in a sauna or exercising or taking your kids to school or leaving early or any of those things, if you're not meeting your accountabilities to the organization, okay, then that's lazy leadership and that's absentee ownership. But if you are still executing, like we talked about in an earlier AMMA, we've now had the best first quarter in the organization, the best second quarter in the organization for the last six months have been the best months in the history of the organization. That gives me a lot of confidence in that me taking time out to focus on my health and mental wellness is leading to better decision-making. Our leaders are more successful. Our team as a whole is more successful. Our clients are more successful. That that is a good thing. I didn't know before until we got the data back. I didn't know that that would be true. So like when you start out, you think, is this a good thing or a bad thing if I'm going to be adjusting how I spend my time and adjusting some of my habits? But we've seen the proof is in the pudding. These are the results of the results. Now, I said this on an earlier AMMA, there is a caveat to all this and kind of the disclaimer that if you've been listening to a lot of the previous AMMAs, you heard my routine on one of the previous ones, that this does not work unless you've got the right people in place. If you don't have the right leaders in place, if you don't have the right team members in place that are executing day in and day out, and if you don't have the right systems of structures and accountability in place, that you can't just disappear, do whatever the hell you want and expect the organization to grow because you haven't put those pieces in place. I mean, it took us it was 10 years yeah. to be able to do it. And we're still working through it and we're still improving and we're still constantly reevaluating. But it's important to have those systems and those structures. And at any given time, I share this in a workshop, like I could tell you to the hour, any KPI within the organization. I could tell you how much money is in our financial accounts. I could tell you where we stand on KPIs for the month and for the quarter and for the year, where our cash flow is. I can tell you all those things. I'm obsessed with it. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting in a sauna or if I'm sitting at my desk. I am checking 
constantly throughout the day. I could probably check six, seven times a day. I've done it every single day. That doesn't really create any stress for me. It's just one of those things that I've always done because I think it's important to always know and have your ear to the ground as to where your organization is and how things are. So that way you can catch things. If something is off and you start to see, okay, I can kind of see a leading indicator here that tells me that we're off track here. And then if we don't handle these challenges or these problems and solve them when they're small, they're going to turn into the big problems later on. And that's when organizations really start to struggle. That's when you start to see lagging indicators like phone calls are down, leads are down. Why is our revenue down? Revenue's not down, surprise. You could see leading indicators. That kind of, there's a story that's told over the course of months and quarters that will tell you, hey, this is how we're going to be projecting. And don't hit me with this nonsense of saying, well, this month was just a bad month. This month is a bad quarter. You don't understand our business is ups and downs and peaks and valleys. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Because for every business that tells me that, I know of another one. No matter, I don't care if you're a contingency-based PI firm. When you say it's feast or famine, there are PI firms that we work with that have been able to smooth out cash flow and been able to project much more effectively so they don't have cash crunches that don't go up and down. And I think it is your responsibility as a business owner to have a level of consistency and stability Within the organization, the only way you can do that is if you keep track of, of what your metrics are. So to answer this question, it's that the results are the most important thing. And as long as you are driving results and that you are effective, well, who gives a shit what time you come in? And who gives a shit what, what, Honestly, you, what you're doing? Honestly, from a different perspective, because I am more on the ground, literally, with a team, they actually might appreciate you not coming in because you get out of the way and it empowers them and it gives them autonomy. And you might just be surprised by the results. I have been surprised by the results. They've been great. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you've got great people, you hire great people so that they can tell you what to do. If you're having to tell somebody great in quotes that you've hired, here's how you do your job. They may not be great. You know, that great because you should have people within your organization. Like my goal is that everyone that I hire is better than me, that everybody that is leading a team or leading a department could do it better than I could that has more knowledge and ultimately knows that area where they're in the business. Like you want to know enough so you don't get effed over, right? So you just don't have kind of the wool pulled over your eyes of you being able to go in and say, hey, what's going on here? But at the same time, I can tell you that every single team lead that we have within the organization, their department knows much more about what it is that they're doing than I do. Yeah. So I want to know from them, hey, what do you think we should do? You can lay out the vision. You say, here's where we're going. You guys tell me how you think we should get there. And then you kind of listen to the feedback and say, all right, great. We're going to make a decision. We're going to go this way. Yeah. I think when you hire people that are better than you, that are smarter, more talented, better looking, right? Like those things, if you can hire people that are better than you, you're going to have a much easier life. But it is very important to you for reasons of ego and nothing else I could understand to be the smartest one in the room, then you're going to be constantly telling other people, hey, you know, I can't work with these idiots. Well, these idiots were the ones that you hired and you either failed to hire them effectively or failed to train them or develop them. So that is always on you. Every single outcome in your life is on you. The outcomes that you have are based on decisions that you've made. If you've made bad decisions, well, there's a chance that you can correct them and there's a chance that you can ultimately approach things with different decision-making and different habits, but you are where you are because of the decisions that you made. Yeah. That's it. I could go down a whole path of hiring great people, all of the things, but if they're really great, they want you to get out of the way. So this actually quite literally forces you to get out of the way. Absolutely. And then when I'm here, this is the kind of the part two of this. When I am meeting, whether it's our COO or with our team leads, the meetings often go like, hey, they're reporting on here's how things are going. And my questions are, where do you need support? Yeah. Anything I can do? And that's the extent of my involvement. Yeah. All right, Michael. That's all we got today. All right. That's all. We'll be back. Thank you. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Number one, 
download the first chapter of Michael's book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it will help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com. Thank you.